Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. We taped Discover Lafayette with the support of Raider, a managed IT service provider that offers world-class service, including cybersecurity, communications, and technology support. With Raider, you have just one vendor and one number to call, allowing you to concentrate on what is most important, your business. For more information, visit RaiderSolutions.com. Our guest is Lafayette Parish Clerk of Court, Louis J. Pratt. Louis has served as our clerk for 23 years, having been elected to serve on November 20th, 1999. The Clerk of Court manages the central repository of official records, ranging from real estate sales, mortgage deeds, civil lawsuits, successions, adoptions, felony criminal charges, and much more. They can help you get certified copies of birth and death certificates. The Elections Department oversees every facet of all elections that take place in Lafayette Parish. And with the elections coming up on October 14th, it seemed very timely to hear from Lewis on all that's involved in the process. When you have a dedicated public servant, such as Lewis Perrette in charge, you never worry about the operations of the clerk of court because things hum along smoothly without drama. The office is definitely well run by qualified staff members who are there to service all of the public. Lewis Perrette, I want to thank you for being on Discover Lafayette. I've been hoping to have you on and, and welcome Well, to the thanks, studio. Jan. We've talked about it before, and I'm yes. just excited that our schedules allowed us. And, of course, you know me. I'm always promoting elections. I'm always promoting mm-hmm. turnout. And so thank you very much for having yes. me. Yes. And I'm a big, really big supporter of what you do. So many people take for granted the clerk of court's office and our, our courthouse. You really keep everything going in commerce. People, you know, they depend on you to be able to see, can I buy a house? Has this person been arrested before? There are so many things that you oversee besides just elections, kind of the big thing that we all think about. So um, I wanted you to first, before we get into all the duties, would you talk about your background? I, When I looked you up, I didn't realize how much you had done in the past politically, especially for the Republican Party. You've been a servant um, to our community in many ways. Well, thanks very much. I, it's something I've been interested in since I was a kid. I guess you could uh, put me in the category of being in a nerd really? uh, back in the in those days if people remember what that was. But I was the type of kid who always volunteered to knock on doors and lick envelopes and uh, stuff, stuff envelopes, lick stamps, put mail out, and mm-hmm. things like that. And uh, grew up in a family of 10 kids. My older brothers and sisters kind of brought me to tag along. And so we were something called TARS, Teenage Republicans, back then. And uh, I can remember my first campaign was President Nixon's re-election in 1972. Really? And there weren't I, many Republicans. Not many Republicans. They used to say we could all fit in a phone booth, but my parents <laughs> would drop us well, not off. not all 10 of you. <laughs> no, no. That's, uh, most of that, that was the Republican Party <laughs> in Louisiana. But my parents would drop us off at the then Woolco at the corner of Johnston and Camellia. Mm. And uh, that was prior to Walmart's existence, and we would have a bottle of Windex and a roll of paper towels, and we would wash people's window when they would go in, their car window, and they go in the shop, and we'd leave a Nixon now more than ever bumper oh sticker. Oh, my gosh. And I can remember that just laughing about that. Uh, but coming forward, always been interested in it and uh, working my way through school, volunteering on different campaigns, uh, Douglas Straps for Mayor of Lafayette. People may remember Mm -hmm. him. And then my first full-time job was working for uh, then United States Representative Jimmy Hayes. Mm -hmm. Tell tell me about that. He's quite an interesting and and brilliant guy. Quite simply, the smartest person I've ever been around in my life and the best public speaker I have ever seen, and that's putting Buddy Romer and Edwin Edwards side by side. Wow. Uh, Jimmy's a national debate champion in high school and college, brilliant guy, um, took a chance on me. I was a waiter at La Fonda at the time, <laughs> working my way through school, and he said, hey, I heard about you. I'd like to take mm-hmm. you to lunch. Let's visit, and we got to know each other. Then I started traveling with him, and he won, and so I got to be uh, he become his district director, uh, worked for him in the state and in Washington, D.C., and he introduced me to so mm-hmm. many people, one of whom was a state senator by the name of Mike Foster, who ran for governor. Wow. 
So he actually asked me to take a leave of absence, and I went to work on the governor's campaign and worked for Mike Foster as the Get Out the Vote statewide chairman Mm -hmm. and then became communications director of the transition. I actually had never worked on a transition and didn't know what that was, but it basically is hiring everybody for the state. Mm -hmm. And many people may not know, but the governor of the state of Louisiana hires more people directly than the president of the United States. Why am I not surprised? It's about (laughs) 3,000 jobs. There's one book, which I actually got to see, handed from governor to governor that lists every state job, who has it, and their salary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did that job. And then uh, Jimmy Hayes ran for the Senate, was not successful, and I went to work for then-elected United States Representative Chris John, who took Jimmy Hayes' place. And was he a Democrat? He was a Democrat. Uh Jimmy was a Republican. But they're both fine servants. Correct. Jimmy was a Republican who ran for the Senate, was unsuccessful. Mm -hmm. Chris was elected to his House seat Mm -hmm. um, and hired me to keep my job, and so I did that for uh, several years, and I decided to run for clerk. And it's been a great experience for me as someone who loves history, Mm -hmm. who's someone who loves documents, who loves uh, commerce. As you were saying, the uh, clerk's office really is the hub of any parish. And when it really, really hit home to me was after Hurricane Katrina. You know, we're talking today on the 28th. Uh, which is coming up tomorrow, that anniversary, the 18th anniversary. But for over three months after Hurricane Katrina happened, not one piece of property was sold in Orleans Parish. Think about it. You couldn't buy or sell a piece of property because the clerk's office was in Lafayette in Baton Rouge. They had evacuated and were trying to keep things going. And it boiled down to this— We had a responsibility. One of our responsibilities is criminal justice. And when you are arrested, you have a right to bail, to seek bail, to confront your accuser. And so that's what we were trying to do. We were literally doing jail call at the Lafayette Parish Jail, making sure those people who were arrested after the hurricanes were given a chance to bond out. Not to get sideways on the interview, but it's fascinating all the business that goes through a clerk's office. So think about it. Every time you buy or sell a piece of property, that's recorded there. The happiest people we see in the courthouse, without a doubt, are the people who are coming in who have paid off their mortgage. Paid off their mortgage. I know. Burn that note. They all look like they're about a foot (laughs) taller, and they're just happy. Those people. And people say, they're yes, I've had this question. They're happier than people getting a marriage license because they achieved something something they wanted for so long. Um, That's funny. I want to go back then. So when you came into this office, you were seasoned politically. But, I mean, this was a major step in your career to, to be overseeing our clerk's office. And I know you mm-hmm. followed in the footsteps steps of uh, Mr. Dan Guyot, yeah. who I want to get an award. I know he's no longer with us, but fine, oh, fine fellow. Great public service. He previously mm-hmm. had served one term in the legislature, but what people may not remember about him was he was the um, head— of the charity hospital in Lafayette. He was the manager, the executive director. I guess you would call it or general manager uh-huh. or boss of charity hospital prior to running uh, and being elected for clerk and for serving for so many years. But the job might be political that I have to get elected, mm-hmm. but the job is 100% administrative. It's ministerial, it, really. That, that's what we do. Yeah. And, and, I'm the kind of person that likes things to run on time and to be done the right way. And the blessing that I have had is to work with one of the most incredible staffs Mm -hmm. I have ever been around in my life. Uh, We have currently today, we've been working about 102 people. At one point, we had 130. But as technology has Mm -hmm. improved, as people have been able to surf the Internet, file documents, as you know, Mm -hmm. over the Internet, uh, we don't have them coming into the courthouse. So they're not frustrated about parking, not frustrated about not being able to bring a cell phone in, having to go through the magnetometer and all that. Mm -hmm. And um, a good staff can make or break you, and it is true in any business. I don't care what business you have. Mm -hmm. 
And Dan Giot hired good people. He did. And some of them are and still there. I mean, I, 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 I knew some of them. And, very lucky. Yeah. So, uh, Jan, you started earlier by saying I've been clerk for 23 years. I still have seven co-workers that call me the new guy. Mm-hmm. We joke about it because they've been there for over 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in retrospect, if you go back in time, 24 years ago when I was elected, there was a new sheriff, a new assessor, and a new clerk all came in at the same time. The sheriff fired 60 people on the first day. Anytime you've got a department with 700 people, you've got to get rid of some people and stuff. Very acrimonious, very nerve-wracking. The assessor got rid of a third of the staff the first day. That's what happens when you know when you have a new administration. Well, when I came in, I said everybody's staying, yeah. and everybody stayed over time. Some people left, mm-hmm. but it worked out. I believe I had the smoothest transition, and I just believe in every organization. If you believe that you, as the head of the organization, are responsible for everything that goes right, then you're responsible for everything, everything. that goes wrong. Right. But in reality, my employees are so caring. Mm-hmm. I think that we basically operate by Jesus' rule. We treat people like we want to be treated. We see people that come to the courthouse that maybe have had a spousal abuse situation, protective orders, very uncomfortable to talk about. Or you have something like a a family in dispute, a major Mm -hmm. divorce, they're fighting over the kids. People are at their worst. And so we want them, when they encounter the government— not to have the regular government, I'm so frustrated, experience. We want them to know that we sympathize with them. Mm -hmm. We're not miracle workers. Yes, we make mistakes, but we try to put ourselves in that position. And I think it reflects that we have so little turnover that we do have Mm -hmm. a good staff, and I'm extremely blessed to work with those people. You know, I've set up that uniform commercial code that you ever see uh, about 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And some of the same people I've seen, and mm-hmm. um, they love what they do. I think that's part of it. I think your staff really mm-hmm. want to serve the public. And I've been in there looking for my birth certificate and different things. And, you know, they always make you feel like there's no stupid question. What can we do to help you? And are you in the right place? So I want to commend you because well, you could have had a big staff turnover if you weren't doing a good job. Thank you, and I want to thank those people out there that uh, that do their job mm-hmm. every day, not seeking the limelight, just want to serve the public. They have that servant's heart, but we also try very hard to treat people with respect. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the dry stuff first, and then we'll get into elections. But your records, as we were talking about, you mentioned Orleans that went underwater, but we depend on our public records. If you want to sell anything, like you were saying, if you want to mortgage your home, people have to be able to find basic things out about you. What mortgages are against you? Do you have liens? Right. Have you been right. in trouble? Right. You know, like people you people go to your right. office, even if it's uh, remotely, they go there for so many things that, that we don't even realize. Correct. And there's, you know, we learn every day. And that's what's great, I think, about working at the clerk's office is lifelong learning. There's a difference between a public record and a published record. What do I mean by Mm. that? In 1935, when Social Security was invented, they swore to the United States public that it would never be used as an identifying number. (laughs) We know that the Internal Revenue Service uses your Social Security number as an identifying number. But I can be sued if I put your Social Security number out on the Internet. And that was part of the law, though, when I set up the UCC. We, like right. if you were John Smith, you didn't want to be John Smith without an identifier. But little did we know that would become a tool for fraud. And identity theft. It's mm-hmm. horrible. We see these people. It's why DD-214s, which are your honorable discharge papers, mm-hmm. they are recorded at the clerk's office. Why do you care about that? Well, after, in particular, World War II and Vietnam War and Korea— after you've served 30 years later, you want to qualify for benefits. Your honorable discharge, DD-214, DD proves that. Well, people were stealing those and stealing IDs, so those are now sealed documents. But you're right about the commerce. Everything goes through a clerk's office, and it's just fascinating mm-hmm. how all that works. But you've got to be careful with the advent of technology, what we can put on the Internet, what we can't be. 
But we still have, and I love those people that come in and mm-hmm. want to go through the records. We'll set them up on a computer. We'll show them how it works. Mm-hmm. And all records are public. You know, we have almost 16 million documents that I'm responsible for going back to 1823. And they all have to be found. And it is very, very uh, interesting, some of mm-hmm. these papers that we've been able to find and help people. Very, very few, minuscule, I would say, less than one one-hundredth of a percent of our documents are not available to the public. What do I mean by that? Any matter that's been sealed by the court can only be sealed by a court order. So no, Lewis can't take care of it for you. Lewis can't do that at the clerk's office. Mm-hmm. Court order does that for us. And then, of course, juvenile records. Juvenile records will never be made public, I hope, and should never be made public because we've got to agree, Jan, in the development of a human being, when you're 15, your judgment may not be the same as when you're, right. let's say, 25. Right. And so I believe that everybody, and the court recognizes that, But I don't believe that somebody should be tainted with that broad brush of being 15 years old and doing something idiotic like stealing a car or shoplifting or something Mm -hmm. like that and having that follow you for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Now, indeed, in fact, those records are available to the court for review, but the public needs to understand and once again put themselves in that place. Everybody's got a kid that's got an issue. You know. Right. We all do. I know. I mean, we, we were probably issues to our parents, too. So as we think about <laughs> I it. I know I was. <laughs> so what about the really old records? I love looking at the old books, even though they're really old and dusty. Are those mm-hmm. records online, or do you have to go in person to look at things from back in the 1800s? Well, eventually, everything will be online. But as opposed to a huge, unbelievable, astronomical bid of about $2 million to scan all of our uh-huh. records— We created, I guess you'd call it like an in-house farm team, and I got hooked up with the university, and we've got some great part-time kids that Mm -hmm. they send us that have bigger screens and monitors than I have in my office, but their job is to look at that document, scan it, and make it part of the permanent record. Now, the antique records, Mm -hmm. the ones, the original ones from 1823, those are quite brittle. They have been scanned. They're written in French. There's something you learn so much in technology in today's, they're actually encased in a mylar plastic that presses away from the document, but it has to be treated with the deacidified spray on the paper because the old iron gold ink eats through the document and eventually turns it to dust. So you chemically treat it. Then you scan it, and then you put it in this mylar, and then you bind it in a book. Those books are kept in a fire-resistant vault. Mm-hmm. I said fire-resistant vault. And, of course, we're praying that the that the worst nightmare of a fire would never occur. Who would have ever thought that Louisiana right. would be having these out-of-control fires? You, you know, Hurricane Katrina, uh, uh, I just need to go back to it. I sent 10 employees with trucks to St. Bernard Parish to pick up their records that were soaking Mm -hmm. wet that had flooded the courthouse, and they were actually brought to the Bluebell Ice Cream Factory in Baton Rouge where all the records were brought into a a drive-in freezer, and they froze the records because that stops the deterioration. Then they were driven to Houston where a major corporation dried them in a kiln Mm -hmm. and then, then cleaned them, then scanned them. Unbelievable cost. They were usable? They were usable, a vast majority of them. But But that was a nightmare Mm -hmm. for us to just be part of to help St. Bernard Parish recover. It's something that I think about, you know, there's a basement in the courthouse. I've been offered the use of that basement to store records, and I'm I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that, you Mm -hmm. know. Uh, And I used to say Lafayette would never have to worry about flooding because we're 28 miles north of the Gulf of Mexico. Well, Lake Charles, Louisiana is 35 miles north of the Gulf of Mexico. And for two hurricanes, they had over four feet of water in downtown Lake Charles. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think storing records in a basement is good for me in Lafayette, Louisiana, with the responsibility that I bear. I was wondering about that with the potential for floods and all this climate change activity. We're not on our first courthouse. And I know you want to share the history of our courthouse 
and what's done to protect the records. So if you want to go into that that history. Well, Lafayette's had a great history of courthouses. We're on our fifth one. And, of course, the first courthouse story is a great political story that I'll share with you. It was two competing factions. The Mouton family, which had donated the land for the mm-hmm. cathedral, wanted to have the courthouse downtown. And some brothers who owned, I'll say, what was essentially called Bendale Gardens— wanted to have the courthouse there. And so to um, spice up their offer, they built a little jail next to the river. <laughs> so, and think about it. And that the, was close to where the, Vermilionville was. I mean, you know. Correct. The, and the, the interstate of the 1800s, mm-hmm. when we're talking about this in the 20s, was the Vermilion River. Mm-hmm. That's how people traveled. A lot of wagons and horses took place. But in reality, it was the steamboat and mm-hmm. shipping that brought business in. And so the brothers who built the jail had the competing property, Bendale Gardens, and the Moutons had downtown. They called for an election. Mysteriously in the middle of the night, <laughs> the jail burned down. I don't know how that happened. No. And the Moutons' land uh, was accepted. Oh, that's so, so mysterious. So you, know? <laughs> you come forward, and in 1835, they built our second courthouse. They had a little building there they used. 1835, we built our second courthouse. Where it is now, like the Where same it location. is now, uh-huh. and it lasted until 1859. That's very important, 1859, hmm. the year before the Civil War broke out. So the courthouse that we built in 1859 lasted until 1927. Wow. What happened in 1927? We the had the flood. Roaring Twenties. <laughs> yeah. We had the Great Flood, but they built a new courthouse, that third <laughs> courthouse, Worked out well. It cost a whopping total. Let me see the cost. No, the fourth courthouse was the one that was built in mm-hmm. 1927. $350,000. And that was a ton of money, I bet. You know? that, that courthouse lasted until about 1965, mm-hmm. and we built what we have today. What we have today simply is, in my opinion, um, not— not proper. Was it was it poorly built? I know it's crumbling. I mean, it, people don't realize you can't even wash yeah. the windows because— It, it was very it, well built at the time, mm-hmm. but times have changed. And I'll give you a couple of specifics without getting um, too, too revealing. For security <laughs> purposes, we have to have secure places to hold prisoners. The prisoners were originally held on the seventh floor where the jail is. There is no jail anymore on the seventh floor. So the prisoners currently are held, congregated in a room. That building, when it was built, had 11 different public entrances. I was on the committee that built the new federal courthouse in Lafayette, Uh, which was built in 1996, the first federal building built after the Oklahoma City bombing in 1993. Mm -hmm. That courthouse has two entrances. Mm -hmm. I hate to say it, but people bring bombs into buildings now. People bring guns into buildings. People want to solve their problems through an attack right there. And so we have to secure the Mm -hmm. perimeter of the building. And so we have done the best we can. But one of the things in administering justice in a courtroom is you want to be able to see everybody. We only have really one courtroom that has uninterrupted views because we have columns that people have to lean around in the middle of the courtroom. It's not set up and conducive to what we need today. And then when that courthouse was built, Lafayette's Parish was about Mm 90,000. We're approaching Mm 250,000 now. They have the LCG, which is responsible for the upgrade, upkeep and maintenance of the courthouse. They have begun to spend money to address it. A new roof, take asbestos out, new air conditioning, new cooling tower. So this is thing, the long-term place. Things of those yeah, sort. For the court. There are some plans afoot. We don't always see eye to eye on what plans should go forward, and you always have competing factions. I will say that the law requires only two people to be inside a courthouse, the clerk of court and the judge. Mm -hmm. However, we recognize and understand the district attorney is a major part of what we need, and so they have an entire Mm -hmm. floor of the courthouse. You also have, as you know, indigent defenders, mm-hmm. people like that, that need space. I didn't realize uh, they were in the building, you know, but that makes sense. They're not, but they have access, they have access and they have yeah. to have mm-hmm. places to do work in which we all work right. together to help them. But I've heard some of the judges say, Lewis, like, you know, 
the outside of the building, if you tried to power wash, it just, you can't do it. Like it's really, it's in bad shape. Mold, mildew, things like that. Mm-hmm. It's basically neglect. When the police jury was inside that building, they took care of it and maintained it. When they moved in 1984 across the street to 1010 Lafayette Street, they promptly forgot about it. Don't really want to talk about taxes right now, but I will say it like this. There is a tax that pays for the maintenance Mm -hmm. of the courthouse. For over the past 20 years, for more than 10 years, 100% of the money, 100% of the money that was supposed to be spent on maintaining the courthouse has been siphoned off and given to the jail. Why? because the tax that was passed to support the jail was for a two-story building. Mm -hmm. They don't have a two-story jail. We've never had a two-story jail. We've always had a bigger jail. But for some reason, the elected leadership in Lafayette Parish does not want to tell the public what they need to hear, which is Santa Claus does not exist, neither Mm -hmm. does the Easter Bunny, and you don't get something for nothing. You only get what you pay for in government. And so if you don't support your jail, it's going to fall down. Now, I'm not faulting Sheriff Mark Garber. He does a great job. We have to have a jail, and they they separate those people who cannot conform in society, but it is to the vast detriment to of those of us yeah. who work and mm-hmm. live at the courthouse. I have a couple of questions before we move on. So if the new jail would be moved to West Willow, or I think it's West Willow, out by the sheriff's complex— do you see increased security risk bringing the prisoners instead of coming from across the street— riding in vehicles to have to go to court if well, you stay where you are? I I do have some concerns there. We do not have a holding cell. Mm-hmm. The prisoners are basically gathered in a room. Now, you just put this in your mind for a second. 50 shackled, handcuffed prisoners. Unhappy. With mm-hmm. one or two deputies watching them, we're just one takeover of a way from something bad happening. And so I have been told by the sheriff's department that even if they move out to Willow Street, they still will have some type of presence near the courthouse for prisoner transfers maybe the night before. But we don't want the sheriff's office abandoning downtown. We need them. There's a sense of security when I have 20 deputies around the courthouse that make us feel good that people will comply with the Mm -hmm. law. Okay. And then my second question before we go on is on— what you have to operate on. When I go file a succession in East Baton Rouge Parish, you know, they have the Taj Mahal over there. It's, mm-hmm. it's Jason, it's a, it's a beautiful showcase of granite. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like I pay double the charge. Like, well, there's you, a trick all, to that. What is the trick? Because I, I, I think I pay several yeah. hundred dollars more yeah. for a succession just okay. right down the road. So here's the trick. I love Lafayette. I'm never moving, okay? I don't think. <laughs> East Baton Rouge Parish is the gold parish because if you sue the state of Louisiana in any 64 parishes, it must be filed in East Baton Rouge Parish. They needed a new courthouse. They did not have the— Man, they got it. It's it's fabulous. Well, they did not have the wherewithal to tell the taxpayers in East Baton Rouge Parish or convince them that they needed to pay for it. So what they came up with is anybody that requests a jury trial pays like an extra $1,200 or $1,500 for every single one. So think about this. 64 parishes, a lawsuit against the state happens multiple times a day, multiple times a week. Every time that happens, East Baton Rouge Parish makes money off of those trial requests. And so, yes, it does cost money. It does, you know, and and that courthouse is beautiful. I want to say it's about $110 million. At one time, they were talking about 70, but they did cut back some things. But in, in today's world, a courthouse should be built, as I understand it, a public government building for about 50 years service. That's mm-hmm. what you want a jail to be as well. And it costs money for that. You don't need a Taj Mahal. That yeah, marble and other stuff is nice. Mm-hmm. But you get what you pay for in everything in life. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. just curious if the fees are different all over the state, depending the on the fees parish. fees are set by the legislature. They tell us what we can charge. Like, for instance, giving someone a copy of a document. Mm-hmm. The law says you can pay, you can charge up to $2. In a New page? Orleans, oh. everything is $2. Mm-hmm. In Lafayette, if you make the copy yourself, it's 50 cents. If my employee makes it, it's a dollar. 
Well, you say, just give it away. It doesn't matter. Well, it does I matter. get zero tax dollars, zero tax dollars to pay for my employees' salaries, benefits, equipment, all of that. What the government gives me is a courthouse place to operate in. So consequently, that little 50 cents, we make upwards of $500,000 a year mm -hmm. selling copies. A lot of people need copies of grandma's succession, mm -hmm. a copy of my marriage license, birth certificate, those things that you just alluded mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. you know? Right. I was just curious. It seems it, I, it's just such a stark contrast just going. And I, I have family there that I did their successions for. It's not like I'm doing a lot of work there, <laughs> but it's just a stark contrast to the building that you operate in. Mm -hmm. So anything else on the building or the operations? The uh, just, just that I believe that um, Lafayette will have to build a new courthouse in the future. It's something that needs to be done. We've talked about it for years. Um, Where would it the, go? Uh, and that's just it. It needs to be downtown. We have examined everything from building it out in Dusan, where there's plenty of rice fields available. But you got to think about this. City court is downtown. Federal court is downtown. We, and, and district court as well, we make downtown run. And what I mean by that is the restaurants, mm -hmm. the offices, the supplies, all of that needs to be in a relative close proximity mm -hmm. to each other. And if we all move out to Dusan, downtown's going to die. Now, they're talking about moving the jail. We don't know what will go there. I can just tell you for years I'm not making it up. I'm at the uh, twilight of my career. But I will tell you, you get what you pay for, and it must be addressed we need a safe, secure building for your records, mm -hmm. for where justice is administered, and it is the hub of our area. And, you know, I have so many things that are popping in my head right now. When we had a previous mayor, he went and did all these wonderful pictures of Lafayette. But his picture of the courthouse was the new federal courthouse. <laughs> and so I said, well, why don't you just take that down and put up the parish courthouse? And he just took it off completely because they just don't want to admit it. Now, moving into aesthetics, I realize a lot of people don't care about that. Somebody, in my opinion, was on some type of hallucinogenic <laughs> drug when they designed that ugly building. It's kind of drab. I mean, if you just want to, how would you describe it? Art Deco on acid. <laughs> I mean, it's just <laughs> ugly. And and I do believe that, that you want things to be nice. You want them to be functional. It is a solid building. But like I said, how do you build a solid building? You put concrete columns in each room where nobody can look around them mm -hmm. and see. And so these are things that we've learned over time that have to be addressed. That new federal courthouse is incredible. The safety and security mm -hmm. features that they have that I won't go into but there's two entrances. There's a reason for that. There's a reason those bollards are there. Mm -hmm. I, I was at work on September 11, 2001, and I will never forget when I saw the second plane fl fly into the World Trade Center, I picked up the phone and called downstairs and said, no packages will be brought into the courthouse <laughs> today. And I wasn't concerned about Lafayette, Louisiana, but no one knew what was going on. And mm -hmm. then my phone started ringing from my friends from Washington, D.C., and if you recall about that, you know, they had the Pentagon explosion mm -hmm. there. They had the White House evacuated. We did not know there were planes missing. We had the unfortunate downing in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And so I think security is something that we all have to mm -hmm. pay attention to. And in particular, those of us who work in government understand there's a lot of people that don't like us. Yeah. I remember that day the president was flying over the Grand Coteau area. I mean, he was flying in Air Force One mm -hmm. and my daughter was at school out there and I went, just go, go to another state. <laughs> <Let's go." laughs> you know, that yeah. was fascinating mm -hmm. that day. I, I am a little bit of a, um, I would say a, a presidential file and that I follow all of that. But I can remember that day saying, where is the president? Yeah. He was in South Florida. And back at those times, I know iPhones are, are all the rage today, but the traveling press was made to remove their batteries from their cell phones 
being concerned about GPS, and mm-hmm. they were looking for a secure location that they could refuel Air Force One and get a secure video conference going. And so they landed in Shreveport, which is homes to Barksdale Air Force Base. I don't know if you recall that day. Mm-hmm. They were actually having maneuvers that day, and so everybody was dressed in fatigues. And the call came in that they needed a certain type of aircraft fuel and 200 box launches because they didn't know how long the White House staff would be on that plane. And so they landed in Shreveport, as your daughter saw flying Mm -hmm. over Grand Coteau, and then they flew to Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska, which is where we have some capabilities Mm -hmm. that I don't want to go into. Yeah. Uh, and then later that evening, back yeah, hopefully to Washington. we won't see those crazy days again. Hopefully so. never again. Yeah. In the building that we're talking about, a lot of precious photographs, the history mm-hmm. of Lafayette you were talking about. I know Mr. Mm-hmm. Guillot was um, an aficionado of the history, yeah. and you you probably are yeah. even more than him. Um, he, he loved it too, and he had the same problem I did of, of too much generosity. He had to quickly limit it just to Lafayette Parish because people wanted to bring from all over. Mm-hmm. But we have some great early educations, mm-hmm. um, old schools, old businesses, early Mardi Gras. African-American Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. They, they had their own gig and kept their own pictures. Fascinating some of the historical documents that we have. We have about 8,000 photographs. We only have about 3,000 on display. But I invite people to come through the courthouse and look at them. We loan them out for publication. There's just a couple of photos that we don't loan out. I have a photograph of the... Um, the last public hanging in Lafayette Parish. Oh, my gosh. When was that? 1940. 1940? It was loaned out to to the University of uh, Louisiana at Lafayette for a criminal justice publication photo. But things like that we have to be sensitive about. And um, the photographs I just love because it gives you a visual, you know. And and since I'm on Mm -hmm. your podcast, I'll make this pitch, Jan, if you don't mind. I know none of us are getting older, but maybe our moms and dads are. We have a lot of great photographs up to the 2000s. But you know what's happened since 2000? Digital. 23 years yeah. in digital. So if you've going through mom and dad's chest of drawers or bureau and you find old Lafayette, old buildings, old locations, we love to add those. Mm-hmm. And now with our scanner, I can scan it and return it to you immediately. And we're we're doing actual documentation to see who donated it and what it is. And mm-hmm. people love those. My predecessor published two books, one mm-hmm. sold out, and then um, uh, the other one sold quite well. It is just part of Lafayette's history that I'm so honored to be part of. Mm-hmm. And some of the stuff I have, like the first African-American female deputy in Lafayette, I got to have a cup of coffee with and got her photograph. And so we're going to put that up on the wall. Those are things I think that need to be mm-hmm. highlighted and that we should be proud of. Very much so. Yeah. So it's election time. I mean, here we are uh, late August. So we have a major election coming up. The governor, so many local races, our city council people. I mean, we just have the sheriff. We have a lot on the ballot. So you just got through qualifying our local candidates. I know if you run for um, state major office, you have to qualify in Baton Rouge at the mm-hmm. Secretary of State, but you handle mm-hmm. the bulk of the work locally. 90% is done here, mm-hmm. and uh, qualifying we got through. We had two lawsuits mm-hmm. that were filed uh, questioning somebody's uh, candidacy. We got through those two things. But this really is the Super Bowl time of year for me, Jan. I just mm-hmm. love I this. Love it. Because it's not uh, true that everybody's favorite sport is Saints football or football or soccer. Everybody's favorite sport in Louisiana is politics. I'm telling you, my 94-year-old mother-in-law was asking me about (laughs) who's running the other day. And it's just fascinating Mm -hmm. that everybody can participate. I feel sorry for those people that turn 18 until they get to be about 25 who make a conscious decision to disengage and not vote. Hey, if you're between 18 and 25, there's a reason why the government spends everything on everybody when they're old, because those people vote, okay? So you need to get out and vote. Your voice matters. And um, it's just, it's a great time of year. You know, in Lafayette Parish, I was talking to the registrar of voters, Charlene Mo Menard, this weekend. We have 
113 different ballots in Lafayette Parish alone, depending on where you live. Okay, so in addition to everything that you named of everybody who's running, we have this weird holdover. About seven or eight years ago, the school board reapportioned, redistricted, and added an extra year to everybody's term. So in addition to all these councils Mm -hmm. and all these state reps and all these statewide and all the parish-wide, oh, by the way, Judge Castle retired, Mm -hmm. there's a judge race, we have the school board race on top of it. I'm telling you, if you live in Lafayette Parish and you don't vote, you should be ashamed of yourself. There is something for you to vote on. Mm -hmm. And these are the people, Jan, quite honestly, who are going to be running Lafayette for the future. Right. And so I jokingly say this, uh, I probably shouldn't, but if you don't vote, then shut up. Don't complain. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very frustrating because we have to spend money and prepare as if the voters are coming out. Mm -hmm. I had some documents drawn up today, and, of course, the cost has gone up. Just in Lafayette Parish, just in Lafayette Parish, on October the 14th, the taxpayers of the state of Louisiana are going to spend over $182,000 to conduct the election. I have 906 people who will be helping us. Who are those people? They're the commissioners, your friends and neighbors that you see that sign you in when you go vote. Mm -hmm. But the most important person, really, is the person who delivers the voting machine the day before and picks Mm -hmm. it up the day after. And oh, by the way, the janitor who comes and unlocks a building, what does he get paid for? Well, it's happened. Somebody throws up, he comes and mops it up. Somebody falls and breaks a leg and and bleeds. They have to come clean that up. They also have to open up the building late at night and close the building and Mm -hmm. open it up in the morning, close it at night. Okay? We have the key custodian, the person that is separated from the machine that has the key that brings it home overnight and shows up the next day. Then you have the clerk's employees that manage overall Mm -hmm. election day in conjunction with the Registrar of Voters, in conjunction with the Secretary of State's office. Um, You know, you can say anything you want bad about Louisiana except that we don't know how to conduct elections. We are good at that. And the Secretary of State's office, where, Jan, you yourself to work, Mm -hmm. you know how dedicated those people are. I set up that network. You know (laughs) how hard those people work. They do. And And it's it's really sacrosanct that the election day— Go off without a hitch. We're like a bunch of nerds. That's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. They want to help people conduct the election. And so think about this if you're one of those uh, suspect people. In Lafayette Parish, 906 people, some drawn individually, some assigned at the last minute. You know, I, I have nine brothers and sisters. It's hard for us to agree where to all go out to dinner together. I can't imagine having a conspiracy to steal some votes and hide the votes, and this is how it works and all that. And so you should know, and we say this all the time, if you see something, say something. Mm-hmm. We want to fix it. We are so blessed in Lafayette, Paris, that Sheriff Mark Garber doesn't give me just a regular deputy. He gives me a sergeant or above. If we got to enforce the law on Election mm-hmm. Day, they will show up, and they have showed up. And then District Attorney Don Landry gives me two lawyers on standby, got a legal question, need to get this answered right now. Mm -hmm. And then we have called the Secretary of State's office before where they have sent help for us. But where they really help us is when we do the count later that day and at night, they send, I'm just going to say, computer nerd superior to us because these people know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They help us. They address issues and problems. And so it's really an orchestra, and it works very well until it doesn't, and then that's when you've got an issue. And I will go out to the precinct and address problems we've had. Failures. We are human beings. I what, don't. What, what's a failure? What would happen? Let's say, a, would a machine a, break? A machine down? breaks down. You know what? They're almost twenty years mm-hmm. old. They will break. We can replace it. We always okay. So we're using three hundred and eighty machines on election day. We're going to have about twenty in reserve. But okay. I was talking about those hundred thirteen different ballot styles. You can't just send something that is set for Scott, Louisiana, down to Broussard. It might have to be reprogrammed. Mm -hmm. And that leads me to another statement. 
Dominion voting machines are never programmed by anybody that doesn't work for the Secretary of State's office in Baton Rouge. And I have met Kevin Paul and his group. They are smart, dedicated, very sharp people who are on top of it. Mm -hmm. And to say that you could rig an election without us finding out about it is impossible, I'm going to say. I'm glad you went over that because I lately I've talked to some people for various reasons, and um, some of them think that their votes have been overturned. And I'm like, why would you think that? I don't know where they would get that idea, but it's yeah. that conspiracy. People will say things on social media that has no basis in and truth. I, I said this last election, and I got in trouble for it. I said, if you see something wrong, don't go on Facebook and post it. Call me. Call the clerk's no. office. We will go out there. Uh, even to the point where we have digital electronic engineering wheels that we can measure the distance from the front of the polls to see if that sign is illegally put uh-huh. there. And many of these commissioners that you see when you go vote, whoever's listening to me, you know these people. They're your friends and neighbors. If you see something illegal or something wrong, speak up and we'll address it. But I feel very confident that in Lafayette Parish, our elections are handled fair, free, and openly. So for people that aren't registered yet, which I'm probably our listeners are registered to vote, but it's so easy to get your name, you know, and I think we have until what, the middle of September? I believe um, that's correct. It's uh, govote.com, G-E-A-U-X, vote.com, G-E-A-U-X, vote.com. Takes about five minutes. What's even better about this um, is almost everybody has a smartphone now. If you don't, I understand. We still print real old-fashioned ballots at the clerk's office, and if you want to come pick one up or call me, we will mail it to you. But if you have Go Vote on your phone, your personal ballot shows up on your phone and you can bring it into the voting booth with you and see, oh, this is who I'm eligible to vote for Mm -hmm. for this. Boom, boom, boom. Now, I want to say this and I want to make sure that everybody out there in the real world listens to me. You don't get to vote on everything. There may be a school board member who you went to high school with, but you don't live in his district, so you don't get to vote for him, okay, or her. And so if you see a problem, call us. We we are Johnny on the spot, My and I need to thank my staff because they show up. The polls open at 6. We'll be there at 5 in the morning, and they're not going to go home till probably 12 midnight or 1 a.m. the next day. You know what they do for lunch? They go in the next room. You know what they do when they need the restroom? They go to the restroom, they go back to their desk. It is nonstop. Mm -hmm. And we love it that way because we want to stay on top of it. We want to address any problems. I can give you a a specific one. We had a gentleman, I got called to a precinct at the Lita building. He was insisting he could vote. They were telling him, no, there was an issue. I drove to the precinct, got on the phone with the registrar of voters who corrected it. You know what? We're human beings. We make mistakes. I'm instructing you, go to the back of the list. The registrar said, write this in, do this, sign it, witness it, Mm -hmm. and let this man vote. We made a mistake. We were able to fix it. We were on top of it. He He just went on the list. Right. Just Uh omitted off the list. It does happen occasionally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in your 23 years, I mean— Things have evolved, but it sounds like the voting machines have been there almost as long as you have been. They so. they have. So that's a great little historical question. We used to have a story. We used to have the old printomatics, which was five sheets of paper that you pressed. And when it got to the fourth and fifth oh, one, yeah, yeah. you couldn't really see it sometimes and read it. So <laughs> for the first time in American history, after the debacle of the 2000 election— Gore versus Bush, the federal government in its infinite wisdom appropriated $4.5 billion and bought new voting machines for every precinct in the United States of America. So therefore, the problem solved, we don't ever have to worry about it again. (laughs) No. How many people out there that are hearing my voice use a computer that's 20 years old? No one or very few people. And then the truth be told, these computers are kept in an unair-conditioned warehouse. Okay, anybody that knows anything about climatize, that's one of the first things we, an agreement we made four mayors ago when I was elected clerk was to keep the air conditioning on in the courthouse to keep the humidity down, to keep the papers from fraying and aging. Mm -hmm. And so you can make those types of adjustments if needed. 
those voting machines are very old. They're not hooked up to the internet, mm. and they're not programmed by anybody from out of state, but they're very dependable. And think about if the candidate that you're thinking of voting for says they want to do away with a computer and they want to do everything by hand. Oh, my gosh. Then are they using their Visa card? Are they ordering stuff over the Internet? Mm -hmm. If they think that the whole cyber world is corrupt, it can't be just the black box that they refer to in elections, of which I still don't know what they're talking about, is that our elections are handled correctly. We do do it well, even with a 20-year-old machine. I feel very confident that our votes are accurate and that we're just trying to do our job and not mm -hmm. put one on over on anybody. You know, to go back to paper, it takes so long to count them, and it's so easy to make mistakes. Classic example. You're right. Okay, so we used to have early voting. And if you're 65 and above, you can request your ballot be mailed to you for the rest of your life. It's mailed to your house. You can mail it back. You should do about 2,000, 2,500 of them. With the pandemic, with the pandemic, with the pandemic, I have to say it really did happen. Five million people died around the world. It wasn't just the United States of America. We all thought if somebody coughed on you, you were going to die. They made some changes they probably shouldn't have. However— you can still request a ballot by mail. We're up to, in Lafayette Parish, almost 9,000 ballots wow. will be mailed out and mailed back. Guess what I got to do? 9,000. We got to start counting those ballots at about 10 in the morning. We used to do it at 5 in the afternoon. When they oh, were you have only to wait about, till we election day. We cannot open until election day morning. And so 9, we will start election day more than likely, I'm going to guesstimate, 10 a.m., and we will start counting those ballots. And those are, an envelope has to be opened up. It has to be double-checked. It has to be smoothed out. It has to be counted. And then sometimes they're illegible. Sometimes you can't see it. So how do we address that? We Here's how we address it. You have a Republican-appointed person sitting next to a Democratic-appointed person sitting next to a person appointed as a personal representative of the governor sitting next to the registrar, sitting next to myself as the clerk. We vote up and down. Is this who this person voted for? Yes. Okay. Let's transpose it onto another ballot because you can't read it. And then we have uh, some strange things that have occurred in the last 20 years, which is we're at this never-ending wars that the United States seem to be in. And if you're fighting in a combat situation overseas, I believe you get special privileges. Here's one of the special privileges you get. You can fax in your ballot from anywhere in the world if you're in the military overseas. And until the last vote is counted, you fax it in, the polls close at 8, you fax it in at 11 o'clock that night. If we're still counting votes, your vote gets counted. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's what America's all about, and we should do that now. You give up your right to a secret ballot if you fax it in because the Board of Election Supervisors gets to see who you voted for. But you know what? We're all interested in the same mm -hmm. thing, seeing that everybody who's legally eligible to vote gets to vote, not who they voted for. Right. You know, and right. I believe in Lafayette we do a very good job at that. I'm amazed about 9,000. That's like a, a fifth of the votes that it takes to win an election here, that, right? I mean, is. it's about 40-something thousand votes. It, to, it is a large uh, number. That is incredible. And, you know, I, I know I'm a little bit sensitive to the news. I'm I, I'm a, a news junkie for watching stuff. They're talking about a new variant coming up oh, yeah. and, of COVID. And God forbid, you know, we said that would never happen before, but I don't have the option to say, we delayed the election a month. Y'all come back next month and I'll know more information. We are going prepared. We're already thinking mm -hmm. about, you know, do we need shields and masks? We're not certain. We're hoping and praying, crossing our fingers that everything will be all right. But once again, you have honest, dedicated, hardworking Secretary of State people who work with the registrars and the clerks to make sure it gets done. We're mm -hmm. all thinking about hurricanes right now, too. Right, right. And praying for rain, to mm -hmm. be honest. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Anything else on the elections? I mean, do you have any other story, like war stories or anything that well, we've comes got to some, mind? i got some fascinating stories, but I just want to encourage people to vote because it's what you can do to be a productive citizen. You know, you have rights and privileges in the United States that other people have not had. 
I've been blessed in my life, Jan, and I've gotten to travel. I have been to China. Wonderful, beautiful place. It is run by a communist dictatorship. If you don't do what they tell you what to do, you and your entire family can be put in prison and killed. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't happen in the United States of America. And war stories, man, I've got some. You know, probably my favorite of all time is, if you can think it, it's happened. Really? (laughs) A rabid skunk outside the precinct. They call me and they say, what do we do? We've got this skunk and it's moving back and forth right in front of the doors. And we've got about eight voters about 20 feet away that don't want to come. So I said, shut those doors immediately because if that skunk sprays inside, then we're done for the day. Nobody's going to want to be in that building. Mm-hmm. And so we call the sheriff's department and they send out a guy. With who's a gun? Coming, and, and I'm just thinking, how is this going to look if he's got to shoot this skunk? I know. You know? Did they trap it, and Lewis? Like, what did so they do? What we, well, first we yelled at the voters and asked them not to leave. They were across the parking mm-hmm. lot and said, the sheriff's department's on the way. And thank God the sheriff's guy got there within about five minutes and I was on my way driving there but the skunk had wandered off but it was acting in a way that clearly indicated that it was a rabid skunk um we were able to save those voters they they stayed you know uh another (laughs) classic example i can remember the day that barack obama was elected president we had a suspected gas leak on a train next to a precinct and so we are going to have to evacuate this precinct. Mm-hmm. Got on the phone with Secretary of State's office. They got their lawyer on the phone who was reading the instructions to me mm-hmm. on how we were going to notify the voters and move that precinct. One plug that I got to give here related to this story is the fire department. The fire chief himself, Robert Benoit, got on the phone with me and had a radio communication to the fire uh, the the firemen who are approaching the gas leak to read the side of the tanker to see what type of chemical it was, mm-hmm. to see what kind of spray to put on it, to see how dangerous it was. And literally, as these gentlemen were risking their lives approaching the fire with a different, I think it was a neutral spray first, to see what went on next— the chief was telling me, okay, they're advancing, they're advancing, and I'm just praying that everything's going to be mm-hmm. safe, and said, okay, good news. This is not a bad thing. We don't have to abandon the precinct. Right. Things like that have had. We've had people fall, break a leg, or break an ankle at mm-hmm. the precinct. We've had fights break out at the precinct. Uh, you know, and I'll say this, thank you very much for bringing it up, Jan, and reminding me. You can't wear any political paraphernalia on election day at the precincts because that could be construed as politicking in the precinct. So no hat for a candidate, no shirt for a candidate, just go in and vote. Yeah. I mean, that's that's my hope, too, is that people hear your voice and they realize their their vote matters. Every person matters. Absolutely. Especially if you care about the future of your community. Oh, and we have so much from school board to Mm -hmm. council uh, to the very excited mayor's race here to the judgeship. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is—think about it. The statewide offices that are up, this is your chance to say and participate, this is how I want my government to run. Do I like what's being done or do I want to change? Mm -hmm. We have term limits in Louisiana. They're called elections, and you get to express your desire. And I know, Jan, that you're running for office. I want to thank you for doing that because I think all of us that run for office should have our heads examined a little bit. And that it's a stressful thing. Boy, is that true. It's a stressful thing, but it's it's so rewarding and fulfilling. And in my entire time of living in Lafayette for these past 23 years of being clerk, I would say I've met less than a handful of people who have just been rude and Mm -hmm. and cursed at me or something like that. And it was because they were having a bad day. Most people generally are nice. And you get to see people's true inner being. Mm -hmm. You didn't have people come to the door in their underwear? Uh, Yes, I've had that. Uh, Fascinating in that I've had naked people answer the door. Oh, my goodness. I've had people... uh, Bra and panties answer the door, and you can think it, you know, mm-hmm. door to door, there's a lot to be said about learning Howdy, about ma'am. Lafayette. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lewis, as we're wrapping up, any any closing thoughts? Well, just that, uh, you know, it's part and parcel of who we are in the United States of America that we created— 
collectively through James Madison and Thomas Jefferson, this idea that out of something we could, out of nothing, we could create something. We could have a representative democracy that you didn't have to be the son or the daughter of royalty to attain a position of responsibility. And our representative democracy depends on people participating in it. Mm -hmm. We as a society are better when more people vote. I am convinced I want the low information voter to vote. I want the high information voter to vote. But people must understand if you don't participate, if you don't vote, then you're just left to what we've always had. Right. Which is not good enough. That's right. So we want you to get out and vote. Please vote. And if you see any problems, 291-6400, call us. Thank you. Louis Perrette, Lafayette Parish Clerk of Court. It's such an honor having you here. I want to thank Jason Sikora for making this taping possible. Jason, thank you for always making us sound much more professional than when I tape it myself. And I want to thank our listeners for your loyal support. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to Discover Lafayette wherever you get your podcast. Or you can go to discoverlafayette.net where you can see... Uh, Lewis Perrette's interview, along with about 330 others. We've just got a treasure trove of really interesting people that make Lafayette hum. Thank you for listening. This is Jan Swift. Mm-hmm.